passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. See ebaymotors.com. Want to give a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. With a rare dead stock or the latest release, find the exact shoe you're looking for. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the pair you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantees, is are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Ches, what's that word? Authenticators? Authenticators. Authenticators, yeah. I feel that we're authenticators. I think we are. I think we authenticate things. I never thought of myself yeah. as an authenticator. Must be authen- authenticator. authenticator. Oh, oh, you're right. It's authenticator. Oh, oh yeah. Geez. We're not that. It's not even that hard. We're authenticators. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so a team of experienced Sneetha. Or, uh, what are they called, Chaz? They're authenticators, Eric. Yeah, so a team of experienced Sneetha authenticators verify the box, the logo, the stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity, and it also protects sellers with a verified return process. And for sneaker sellers out there, eBay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers 100 bucks plus, making it free to sell or flip your collection. Man, go to ebay.com slash sneakers today. eBay, the world's best destination for, for discovering great value and unique selection bet online the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action march madness is upon us bet online as you cover for all the news scores and odds it's the best way to place your bets and it's free to sign up head to the website betonline.ag or use mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. I don't relax well with my crazy life. It's just hard for me to shut off my brain and chill. I overthink. I get easily stressed out, and it effing sucks. So I did my homework and found Sunday Scaries, which are delicious and vitamin-boosted CBD gummies. They've become a must-have in my daily routine, and they chill me out in just 20 minutes. They help take the edge off, sustain my composure, and live scare-free. And there's no risk to buy. The company offers a 100% lifetime money-back guarantee. If the product's not for you, that's okay. You get your money back. Sunday Scourge is the stress-relieving business, not the stress-causing business. I'll get you 25% to prove it. Visit sundayscaries.com, S-U-N-D-A-Y-S-C-A-R-I-E-S.com, and use my promo code GRIT for your discount. That's promo code GRIP for 25% off at sundayscaries.com. They're amazing and you won't regret joining their squad. 
Hello and welcome to Dirty Water, episode 43 or thereabouts. I'm Derek Riley, I'm with Charlie Smith, and we hope that even if the subject we interview is dull and uninteresting, we put enough sentences into the victim's mouth to make the podcast listenable. Today's guest is a former world number 11, the son of a man who created a billion dollar Ugg boot empire, and is one of a select group of pro surfers who have flourished post-tour. Our guest operates his own clothing line, is a part-time model, a surf coach, and he's an expert in gymnastic and natural and Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He has the colouring of the Anglo-Saxon, blondish with hazel grey eyes, and his muscles have the taut look that indicate the out-of-door life. As well, his exploits as a swordsman are the stuff of legend. Our guest, Luke Stedman. Hello, boys. How are you? I'm what fine. an intro. <laughs> what an intro. A lot of it is, is definitely, uh, I wouldn't say an expert in all the things, but I appreciate the, uh, the, um, the talk up. So, Stets, tell us about your, uh, your tour life because, you know, you have a world uh, number 11, which is a um, pretty amazing feat. Yeah, I actually say that I was uh, a former number number 10 because I was like 10th coming into pipe, but Jeremy Flores came through and won the contest and bumped me down to 11th, so, but I kind of don't let the truth get in the way of the good story for that one. So, um, tour life was good, man. Tour life was really good. It was a... Uh, it was different back then than it is now, obviously. Um, I was on tour for uh, six years on the CT and it took me five years to qualify. So, And I did it kind of later on in my – I didn't qualify until late in my 20s. I was 26 when I qualified, which is pretty late by today's standards. Um, though it was, uh, it, was, it was an epic time. I mean, I look back at it now. And I and I and I really do think that I made the most of it, considering. And when you have like now, I've got a couple of kids. It's uh, it it, it was it was a fun time, and yeah, I, I I don't I don't miss it, but I'm super stoked that I had uh such a I'm super stoked that I actually qualified kind of later on in my my um my life. Uh, I just think it was uh I was I was probably I I did things better. Due to, due to a few years of maturity, I think. So what, what were the highlights and lowlights? What was that, Derek? What were the, what were the, what were the big highs and what were the big lows? Oh, um, the, the biggest high was the year that I decided not to do the QS, the WQS, to re-qualify. So generally what happens is, is you first sort of, when you first qualify is, and the first year I qualified, only three of us did because it was Tommy Whitaker um, and a, a Brazilian guy, and we were the only three that qualified. So the rest of the tour worked, were, had been there before, had some experience. And so generally what happened was is, is when you qualified for the first year, you'd do the QS to make sure that you did your best to re-qualify again. So if you didn't quite qualify on the WCT, you would qualify through the WQS, which actually wasn't that hard to do back then because the way it was organised is, is uh, with the with the heats that they were they were running and the the format they were running is, is you only had to make a couple of heats in each event to to re-qualify. So it was it was pretty straightforward. Um, but I managed to not do that, and I fell off the first year on tour. I had a shocker the first year I qualified, um, but I still managed to win Rookie of the Year. Go figure. Um, so fell off tour, winning Rookie of the Year, 
and I was sort of left scratching my head thinking, oh, how am I, what am I going to do? So I managed to, to pull it together and re-qualified the following year. And, but, the, but the highlight of, of, of my tour days, I think, was the year that I decided not to do the QS and really focus on the CT. And I finished, I, I got a third at Bells on my third year on tour. Kelly beat me in the semis. And after that, I was just like, that's it. I'm ready. I'm ready just to focus on doing the WCT. I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket. I'm making the semis. <laughs> Let's go. And then after that, I had a series of like ninths and 17ths and 33rds. And it was really difficult for me, but I just stayed true to what I initially said I was going to do. I just focused and trained hard and only only did the CT events and it all came down to pipe as a lot of events do. It came down to the last one. And back then there was 16 wild cards competing in the pipe masters, which was made things challenging because we that was the only event that had that system or had that format. And you're competing in an area where it pipes challenging wave and you've you're going against these guys who are the sort of specialists from that area was always going to be kind of a, a, a challenge. So coming into that event, I knew it was going to be hard, but I had my dad there with me and that was kind of this real, like that was all the support team I really needed. And I don't know if my dad's super small, he's, I don't know where I got my height from. He's only like five, four these days. He's tiny, um, but he's got such a big energy and he really sort of, just he helped me through that whole kind of couple of weeks and having him there definitely helped me get the result I was I was I was trying to trying to get and we also had we had a, such a big support group of like Tom Whitaker, Jared Howes, Jake Patterson, Richie Lovett, Taj Burrows, the there's a Luke Munro, there's a big list of guys of Australians who who were there and we kind of all supported each other but especially at that event it was a really big push and everyone knew what I had to get to requalify. And back then, Jake would have this bit of paper with like the the result probability list, and he had this like fluorescent marker he, that he would just like wipe through your name if you got knocked out, and he'd he'd highlight areas that if well, if you got through a heat, he would highlight them and then write down what you needed to get in terms of points to get to to better a placing. He was like the analyst. Um, though not done through on a computer, just done through a pen and paper on a on a, on a paperback board. But uh, he, my, they told me that I kind of needed to make quarters, I think. So going to the event, I was like, all right, I know what I needed to do. The boys just said, you just need the best result you can get. Um, and I got through my first hit, which was good. And then the round before the quarters, I drew Kelly, Ro- uh, Kelly, Bruce Irons, and Keith Reith uh, McIntosh. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I've got three exceptional guys out there. Um, but back then, it was four man heat, and I just, I just knew that I only just needed to get second to get through. And having enough heat, sort of uh, experience, is you sort of can just you know if your baseline is a particular amount, say six, you know generally 12 to 13 points will get you through statistically. So I just made sure that I was my, my, my strategy was just to make sure I was going to get my baseline score. So I went out there and I just sort of sat next to Kelly and I just, he was so, he's so good at just finding waves and 
I just moved around him a little bit and it was a tough heat, but I managed to get second in that. And I, I came in and my dad was there and I got out of the water and he just was ran down. He was the first one to meet me on the beach and he just kind of picked me up and he's tiny and for him to pick me up was like, I knew he was, he kind of had, a, must have had a lot of it, uh, sort of excitement and he was super stoked, but I hadn't really gotten quite through yet. And he was just like, you're going to do it, you're going to do it. So I was like, that kind of gave me heaps of, um confidence and then going to the next heat I managed to get through that and then I, f I got knocked out by um Rob Machado and and Damien Hopgood and Kelly in the semis but that was kind of like my best most memorable experience to sort of have such a challenging um quest ahead of me and to do it in front of dad who's always been such a huge inspiration on me personally and emotionally and competitively and just I, I, that was that was my most memorable experience for sure. So, so it's worth um, to uh, digressing into uh, in, about your dad, Anthony Stedman, called himself Shane yeah. in the movie, and uh, he was you know he's the the biggest um, board maker in Australia in the seventies. Started making um, sheepskin boots, called them mug boots. Sold the rights before they became uh, massive. <laughs> and his um, and his little pop out, the Shane pop out, was one of the um, biggest selling surfboards ever. But the thing about your dad is he's, he's really is one of a kind, isn't he? Yeah, he's a he's a special person. I mean, he, he came from uh, this little town called Crescent Head, which is on the mid-north coast, right in the middle between Sydney and, and Gold Coast. And when he moved from there uh, when he was 18 to go down to Sydney and start studying for university, he was – it was just a – he was around when there was still like when the when the currency was threepence, like the and 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 just like he he would he would he would get money from collecting cow dung and selling it as manure. Like he just came from such a hard yeah, background. Like WSL, right? What's that? That's like WSL. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then he went to university and was studying something that had absolutely no sort of correlation towards surfing and then decided that he wanted to be sort of a surfboard manufacturer. And yes, you're right, his name's Anthony, his full name's Anthony Sidney James Stedman. <laughs> but figured that Anthony wasn't really a cool name to put on a logo to, to whack on a surfboard, so decided to change it to, to Shane. And, and it's so weird because now in his license and, and, and everything, his name's Shane. It's like he didn't like actually go and get it like legally changed. It just morphed into from Anthony into Shane. Um, and today yeah, everyone knows him as Shane. But, yeah, he started making boards in 1963 and then <clears throat> had like really, really popular um, brand going into the 70s and managed to work with heaps of people like Simon Anderson and Terry Fitz and, yeah, I think I, I was introduced from surfing from from doing, well, obviously from him doing that, but also he was, like, commentating all the all the biggest events, all the surf events in Sydney, like the Bow Repairs, the Coke Classic, Bells. So I was, like, cruising around with him doing these events when I was, you know, as early as I could walk or just as a grom. And I was being around these sort of surf royalty which I didn't even really understand back then. But as I got older, I was just like, oh, that's just exactly what I wanted to do. So I was fortunate enough to have that that history. And, yeah, I'll, I'll, it's pretty, I guess, now when I look back, it's like it was clear that I was going to be a surfer. 
Hey, Chaz, have you met Shane before? I never have. Is he epic? Uh, it's a fucking <laughs> sure. I mean, if he is anything, if he has anything to do with Luke, I'm sure I would be over the moon smitten. He's he's half the, half the size, but twice as optimistic. Oh my god! How is that? How is that even possible? I know. And he's a and he's and he and you think you know Luke? It was the swordsman. This you know Shane is the world's greatest eight year old swordsman. Amazing. <laughs> No yeah. woman resist him. He should have seen his mag ads in the seventies. Chicks at the cans, hanging out, all sorts of stuff. Wow, man. Lou, yeah. I, I always wonder about you. Since I mean, so you have this clearly. I mean, you are on the tour and all this. Do you ever, ever, except for when you're on a surf podcast, do you ever talk about your profession as a professional surfer, or is it only? Like, I don't know, like so in the rear, rear view that it's hard to even remember. It's such a good, such a good question. Um, nowadays, it's, it's, I still, it's, you know, what's funny is because I do so much surf coaching now, I, and I'm fortunate enough to, to, to work with like this such a large community, everyone from really young kids who are, you know, in, five and six and seven to, to, to people who are to my age and older. And they always ask me about my, my history and especially the parents of the kids that I'm teaching. And then, then the, then my students who are to my age and I get to often share stories about, you know, my, my surf history, my competitive days, my thoughts on where competitive surfing is now and how it's changed. So I'm, I'm still, it's not like I'm dusting off the old files and trying to remember uh, situations or experiences. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be able to still discuss them. And, and it's been, it's, that's, that, it's actually been really fun. And I guess it's kept me close to my roots and it's, uh, it's, it's fun to reminisce, but it's also good to sort of un, like, talk about today in terms of where professional surfing's at. And I do enjoy that aspect as well. Do you, do you follow it at all? Do you give two shits about where it's at today? Let's no, be honest. I, I, I love it so much. I don't, I don't love surfing as, as much. Like, like I, I, my surfing enjoyment comes from surfing with my friends, surfing with my kids, Serving my students and watching them do things that are like uh, they that stokes them out. Like when they're working on something particular, doesn't matter on what level it is, but when they do something that's like they've been trying to achieve and they do it and they get so stoked. For me, that is like the ultimate like uh, enjoyment factor. Like that's what I love. But I don't surf as much and I don't look to surf as much because I'm spending so much time teaching. But when I watch and teach up in Venice, though, it's <laughs> shit. Everywhere is shit. It's it is. <laughs> it's so bad. It's awful. And I keep telling everyone that. It's like, this is so shit compared to Australia or, or other areas. But they're, everyone that I work with, is, is they're just stoked to be in the water. Um, and they, <laughs> they just love surfing. But, but like, I love watching the comps so much. Like, watch, like watching Idolo. And those guys surf heats, they're, they're, they're awesome. They're doing things that are, like, so impressive. And 
I, I love like watching Eli surf most because I just feel like he has got such a happy, fun, enjoyment, positive, like everything he does is like a thousand percent, a thousand miles an hour. And for me, that's just, that's epic. Could you, could you dust it off and take some scalps today on the CT? Like if you were thrown in, what would you end? <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I actually reckon I'm surfing better now than I was back on tour. Easy. Sure. Easy. So I feel like those people but, but those guys surf at such a high level. I don't, I, it would be, I'd have to be on my A game, AAA game, and some of the boys might have to have an off heat <laughs> where they don't bring their A game. But uh, I, I mean, yeah, I reckon anything's absolutely for sure. I'd smash some. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, Derek, do you reckon, do you reckon f- that the Luke Stedman era could throw in to heats and totally claim some? Yeah. Nah. The, yeah, the tour's always got like the, you know, the best 16 guys and there's always a lot of bottom things in there. So the, the top-ish feeders from the old tour could definitely come through, particularly somewhere like Tahiti where you don't have to turn. Which I don't know why, but why does not the World Surf League do that? Why do not they throw... Like, I mean, thinking Luke Monroe, <laughs> I reckon he could take a crack these days, right? Where'd you pull that? <laughs> <Where'd you go? laughs> uh, I love that guy. He's the best. He, he's doing well in life right now. He's winning for sure. What does he? What does Mamas do now? Hey, he just seems like he lives with, hangs out with Chris Hemsworth, just living the Vita Loca, doing a bunch of trips with the kids, like fishing, surfing. He's living his best life. I would hate to hang out with Chris Hemsworth. <laughs> walking around fucking in the shadow of someone all day. He's a big boy. He'd be kind of eclipsing the sun, but I'm, I'm pretty sure he's, uh, he, he, he's doing pretty well. I feel like Luke is in, enjoying, enjoying life for sure. Hey, so Luke, so one of the reasons we got you on was um, me and Chaz are going down a little bit of a jiu-jitsu path. Yes, I love it. And um, you, well, wait, I have so many questions for you. I mean, Derek has more, but I'm going to chime in right here. As a tall man, as a tall man, Luke, you know that I love you as a tall man. Yeah. Do you rule because you're so tall? That's all I've heard in my very few jujitsu experiences so far is uh, height. You got all the leverage in the world. We can just break people, Luke. Even though we're skinny and tall, we can own that world. Can we? Well, do you I mean, own the world? It's there's like that's the beautiful thing about jujitsu. There's always pros and cons for each sort of body type. So for me, from but there's from only pros for being tall and skinny. <laughs> let's be honest. No, dude, there's absolutely cons for tall and skinny guys. You've got long limbs that stretch out everywhere. Remember, jujitsu is a game of like being playing tight and and not giving space. So. If you if you like stretch out the long limb, that thing is open for for uh, for someone to attack and and take control over. So like I don't like rolling with small guys at all because they're so quick and they um, they're also super agile uh, and and they have less less. You're not just having to bend backwards. <laughs> I mean, if you can take their back, yeah, for sure, you can definitely do that. <laughs> but the challenge is taking their back, and and just yeah, 
I mean, that's a beautiful, again, that's a good thing about jujitsu, man. It's like, it's, it's, uh, there's pros and cons for every body, body type. Fuck out of everyone, wouldn't you? What's that? You're triangling the fuck out of everyone, wouldn't you? Yeah, like triangles are definitely, definitely one of my, like, go tos. Although sometimes I end up, oh man, triangles are tough to, to get. You, you go someone who's got good defense and, like anything, you, you can you think you got it, but then all of a sudden they 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 defend well, pass your guard, and all of a sudden you're in a bad spot. But I I, I love you, when you're when you're in a bad position. Do you ever throw a smoldering model look just to get them <laughs> just to get off the game, just to get them to back up <laughs> a little bit, and then in again. Any blues come on, deal. you've got any, so many. Start squeezing a little bit tighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it works in the opposite way. Um, and uh, I, I train with the guys I train with here um, are, are tough. And I, I used to train with Jean Jacques. I got my purple belt from Jean Jacques Machado, who's is. That's like, incredibly prestigious to get your purple belt from Jean Jacques. Yeah, like he, he's a he, he's a he's a legend and and such a nice guy. He, he, that, that's what's epic about him too. And and he not only his philosophy on jujitsu and, and life and having um, just getting all that from him was, 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 was super for me personally, it was, a, I'm, I'm thrilled to have my, my kind of education from him up until purple belt. And then I moved, he, my, my, the place that he was training at in Malibu burnt down in the fire. So I had to find a new school because his other place was like an hour away. So I found a place that was recommended for me from a really good friend of mine, Tamal Dodge, and he's a small guy. He's like five seven, five eight, and he was a brown belt. And when I first met when I first met him, and and I started rolling with him, and that's why you say small guy. So I was like, I, this small guy, I am going to absolutely smoke this dude. Like, and he just absolutely murdered me. Like he was just so quick, like knee bars, foot locks. Like he would just annihilate me, and like in ways that I was just like, "What the hell's going on here?" I was so baffled and so and so just thrown by it. I was like, "Where do you train?" So he took me to his place called PKG, punch, kick, grapple, and it's like a kickboxing gym. So it was like a completely different energy to where the last fight. Like Jean Jacques was super mellow. Like we just hang out and talk, and then. Do a, like a nice little warm up, and then we drill, and then we go into this role. It was very, very polite, and the etiquette in there was, was super fun and cool. But then I went into this place, it was like so gnarly. Like the guys were going hard; they just wanted to murder me, and I was struggling to stay afloat. And but it was epic because it toughened me up pretty quickly, and it tightened my game immensely because I was just trying to survive, just trying to keep my head above water. And these guys are good and. They were younger and they were just hungrier and more aggressive. And yeah, now I've been training there for two years. I trained with a guy, he's a black belt, Tahi Burns, this Kiwi guy. He's the toughest bloke I've ever met in my life. He is so gnarly. He tells us stories about his back in the day and they're frightening for me. And I don't know if you know me, but I'm not a very aggressive person. I'm far from that kind of um, sort of. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, man, I'm not there. Um, Except when there's a chick kicking around. Then you're fucking, <laughs> then you're fucking <laughs> overdrive. 
back in the day. I'll follow this a little progressive times. in that area for sure. Uh, <laughs> but uh, actually, Derek, remember that one time in Tahiti? It was just like me and you going for that one girl. That's up at David's place. There's one girl on the island, and Derek and I and the whole team were like throwing our hat in the ring. Um, nudes, nudes, <laughs> nudes, everyone was the best. Um, I don't remember in the channel. And you just going, it's just going to be like, yeah, nothing really happened, da 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 da, and um, and then Nudes just paddles up and goes, fucking bullshit, you fucked her all night, fuck. But yeah, no, I was believing you too, heartbroken, so heavy. <laughs> so the tour days, um, but uh, yeah, so that's my, that's kind of jujitsu is sort of the one thing that I do more now than surfing for sure. I try and train as much as possible. And it's the and I was thinking about it today actually because I was thinking like why do I love jujitsu so much and the best thing about one of the best things about jujitsu is it's helped me really understand how to uh, be conscious through the process like all my my teachers have been super um, uh, vigilant and really really um, articulate when teaching steps through a process and for me as a surf coach now it helped me understand the mechanics of surfing and how actually changing mechanics altered the 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 way you turn a surfboard so for me my sort of journey through jiu-jitsu has helped my surfing and the way I coach and and helped me sort of mold the way I coach and just because of the way I was taught jiu-jitsu and also the way the nuances within jiu-jitsu and there's, there's a correlation with the nuances in surfing and mechanics. So I think it's, it's Isn't it amazing it's to take that mindset where you have a problem, like someone's just getting a, say, a triangle every time you roll them and you solve it and all the, the process of solving it and you take that problem-solving mindset to the surf and it improves your surfing Fucking dramatically. It's, it's, it's epic and I 100% agree. And the one thing that, like, really helped me at the moment is is I was having so much – I was having a problem with a particular position and my professor was like, listen, it's not so much that you're having a particular problem with that, that position, it's the problem prior to the position that you're having a challenge with. And I was like, wow, that's, it's true, like, I was doing, the, like, a – I was doing a particular move that was, wasn't conducive to a really good result and it was putting me in a problem position. And then for, so for surfing as well, it's like, you know, if someone of my students is having a tough time doing a turn, it's like, okay, well, let's look at the entry into the turn rather than the turn itself and let's see if, if that has an effect on the, on the turn that you're trying to do. And it did. And it's, it's epic. And I don't know. I, I, for me, it's more about I'm, I'm just enjoying the – being new at something, like not uh, for surfing, I was like, I feel like I reached sort of a, my my ceiling, or I've reached the ceiling, and there's not a whole lot I can learn. Yeah, I could definitely love to surf big waves better, but I don't live near and I live in Venice, <laughs> so that's not really on the cards for me, and I don't have time to travel and whatnot. So now it's like I can train down the street and learn new something new and. I don't know. It's epic. I feel like martial arts in general is is such a cool thing. Spike, my little boy, he's twelve now. He just got his black belt in Taekwondo. He's been going since he was four and a half, and I feel like that 
that whole kind of uh, old school discipline and commitment and grit as far as like putting someone in a situation where they've got to actually grind their teeth and get through something is super important, especially for, for a young person's so educational life growing life journey. Because so many people now just, I don't have grit. Hey, speaking of grit, do you um have you been smashed a few times in jury where you kind of grind your teeth and you feel the dust in your mouth? I get that, I'm that a lot with big, big guys when they just come at you, they boof, and you kind of bite your teeth close together, or is it just me? No, I haven't had any teeth biting experience, and I don't wear a mouth guard either. And I, I like I've never had anything, I've never had an issue with, with growing my teeth, but mate, I've pretty much. I have bulging, like I've had two bulging discs in my back just from being stacked um, continuously. Again, being tall, that sucks, Chaz. <laughs> no, come on. There's nothing that sucks about being tall. <laughs> stacked means getting your legs thrown over your head. And just pound and just That's shove okay. into the gravity into the, into the, into the floor. Yeah, you feel like a uh, female pro surfer in the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Girls can't surf. <laughs> uh, Stance, um, um, you started with Maurizio. So how did you get into Jiu-Jitsu initially? Uh, so I originally got into Jiu-E because I wanted. I was like, like I think a lot of people get into Jiu-E either for for some sort of self-defense, some sort of sport, or because they want to fight someone and they or they want to not get beaten up anymore. I kind of was like. I was wanted to start Dewey because I wanted to, I just wanted to, to be able to defend myself because I'm so, I've never been in a fight in my life. I'm awful at it. I would be, I was just like, I had no skills whatsoever. And so I started and then I first started in Hawaii and with, with JD who has um, Sunset Beach Jiu-Jitsu, who's a legend, who I was training with when I was in Hawaii recently. And he was, I, I went with Freddie Patasha and who I was on tour with, and Freddie and I started rolling at the end of one of our training sessions, and we just were going, as all white belts do, we were just going so hard. We had zero skills, none. All we had to do, all we had is muscle, and I didn't have that much. And Freddie's way bigger than me, and he, he we, I got, I got my toe caught in a mat. And he just pushed me so hard and I just wrenched my big toe. Like I broke my plantar plasher plate. I tore all the ligands in my foot. That was the year that I finished 11th. And then the next year I had to take off because I had to get surgery. <laughs> and I told the WSL I did a floater and destroyed my foot because I knew they weren't going to give me a wild card if I'd said I was doing jiu-jitsu. And that was my first introduction to jiu-jitsu. And I said I was never going to do it again. I was like, this is the dumbest sport ever. Then, and then, then what what's that? Then what happened after that? And then like two years later, I, like when I finished sort of, actually it was longer. It was, yeah, it was like two and a half years later. I ran into a friend, uh, a really good friend of mine. And he was like, he was a purple belt at the time. And he was like, it was in Avalon. He's like, oh, school's just opened up in, in Avalon. Come down. And is that so, Troy? Is that Troy Pittman? 
Yeah, with Troy Pittman, but uh, Aaron Coote was the guy who I originally ran into who lives here now, who is a black belt through John Jarks. He uh, he was like, come down and, and, and train. I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So started my white belt journey with Troy, uh, who's a legend, who you're training with. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's, he, so he's just over in his school, huh? Yeah, it's amazing. It's just, uh, it's like it's like the art of jiu-jitsu. It's um, this big whitewashed um, warehouse with, you know, paintings on the wall and Beautiful big roller doors that open up. There's a yoga studio out the back, and a lot of a lot of sweaty men um, choking each other. And you know, Sorry, you, know you know, fucking big Troy is, huh? Pardon me. You know how big yeah, Troy is. Huge, dude. He's got to be like two thirty or two twenty pound. Like I don't know, he's like hundred kg for sure. He's hundred kg. He does that. He does that um, submission too. He puts your um, puts his gear over your face and blows in it to see he's suffocating <laughs> the carbon dioxide. <laughs> So gnarly. So gnarly. <laughs> I, that, actually, I've been down to Pat's place who owns Ruka and Art of Jiu-Jitsu and I've trained with Pat a few times and he's got such a, like, he, he's he's the man. Like, he's done, he's he's killed it. He's, he's, he gets to work with the best guys in the league and he gets to do what he loves, surfing, Jiu-Jitsu, training, and he's got the most insane insane little setup down there at Ruka. Like I went down there when I was training with them, I saw a bunch of guys training on a siege fight in the UFC and I was just like, wow, there's like, there's a, there's a real talent pool down there. He's killing it. Did he just sell Ruka again? Again? I got a feeling, didn't he? Because he sold it to Billabong, bought it back. got a feeling he sold it again. Wow. Not too sure. Not too sure. I don't know. That, that He's just – he. What he what he did from a brand perspective and within a brand, I just think is no one's done it before like he's done it. And I just feel like it's done purely on things that he's absolutely sunk his life into. I mean, he's the craziest black belt and he is an amazing, he's amazing stand-up as well from a striking standpoint and he gets to work with the best guy. But he, he could probably make it in the UFC. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> he's good he's good he's strong <laughs> and so you you trained under Maurizio in Avalon yeah I was trained I trained under Maurizio who's such a sweet dude uh, I, does he still have his place at Monobar I'm not sure but my kid started with Maurizio in Bronte yeah he's a legend dude I love that guy he's he, he, he's such a good team those guys um, as well in Alexandria they're they're awesome they, they come from like elite kind of um, DNA background from Brazil Jiu-Jitsu and work with the, the most epic of epic people and they're, they're, they're a good clan. That whole, that whole group of um, uh, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu guys are epic. Alex and those guys are. Yeah, Alex is a legend. Alex is now working. I always see Alex in um, uh, what's his corner when he does the, the UFC. Um, Oh, Whitaker. Oh, Whitaker? Yeah. 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 How, how epic. What so a legend. Cool, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so good. It's so funny here too because you, here you see like a lot of like really um, world-class um, jiu-jitsu. Like Cron Gracie's was just down the street from me, but I, it's, it's originally it, – it's closed down. Um, but there's a bunch of like amazing, amazing academies around town and as well, like striking spots as well. So when, when, um, all, all, everything shut down here in LA, like it's been so hard 
and they are what they do is is they they kind of do it like a uh, like a speakeasy style stuff because like jujitsu is probably the easiest way to catch COVID. <laughs> Just super tight, mouths are about this way, cheeks are touching. He's like really breathing on people. You couldn't get any closer. Um, so. COVID is probably the most transmittable uh, through jiu-jitsu, so that was the, still not open. You're still not allowed to train, really, but what they're doing is they're just mar- taping up all the, the schools with, like, you know, putting brown paper over the windows and it's kind of very hush-hush. And, but a lot of schools close down, so it's, it's a bit of a bummer, but they're just it's sort of they're, they're kind of loosening their grip on some of the restrictions here, so... But you're still supposed to train with a mask on. And who's going to train jiu-jitsu with a mask Jeez, on? It's, like, it's fucking sweaty enough without putting paper over your face. It's so tough. But I, so it, all the schools closed, so I wanted to train privately. So I've got mats in my my, my garage uh, and I try and train as much as I can out there. But I wanted to, like, train with someone really good. So I called uh, a buddy of mine. I was like, hey, do you know anyone who – who would be do, up to doing privates. He goes, yeah, call my buddy uh, Kevin Casey, who's fought in the UFC. He's black belt under um, under Gracie. And he was like, oh, why don't we do stand-up? Because then I can wear a mask and I want to be safe. And I was like, yeah, cool. So I started doing, like, just some stand-up stuff, which has been super fun as well because I'm completely awkward at that. I think um, you totally strike now. Yeah, so I've been doing striking and it's been super fun, really, like, Man, it's tough. I'm like exhausted after it. Again, just trying something new. Like I literally couldn't get fun away through a brown paper bag. So I figured I'd try that as well. So that's been fun because it's been tough to roll here. It's been tough to train. It's only really just started to open up over the last sort of month, two months. So do you, do you roll with your kid, with Spike? Yeah, Spikey and I, we always wrestle. It's the best, man. Wrestling with your kid is the best. I it's love good, it. Yeah. So much fun. It's and watch them fun. get really angry with you and then really trying to, <laughs> trying to hurt you. Then they accidentally knock you in the nose or something. You go, fuck. You know what? They're, they're way tougher than they think you are too and they're more resilient and they're like quicker and you're like, whoa, holy cow. Like before you know it, like they've got a rear naked on you and you're like, whoa, it actually choked me out easily. <laughs> easily. <laughs> Footlocks, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's the best rolling with the kids. Yeah, it's pretty good. Chess, did you have a question? No, I'm just fascinated by this conversation. <laughs> Sorry. Tell us about uh, Gymnastica um, Natural. Natural? Yeah. yeah, that looks wild. Yeah, super. So I did a, um, a seminar with the, the founder in Hawaii, and I was actually with um, one of the boys from Brazil. It was, oh, uh, what's his name? Former world champ. Um, Adriana Souza? Adriana. Huh. Adriana was like, hey. hey. <laughs> He's like, hey, you got to come check this guy out. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool, sweet, I'll go. So I went to uh, into town, into Honolulu, and he was actually, he was doing the seminar at the place that I train at, Todd Tanaka is in Hawaii. He's an absolute legend. Um, and we did this dude walked out and I was looking at him and he was like, at the time he was in his late, he was in his fifties, like late fifties. And I was just like, okay, cool. Let's do this. And I was looking at him, sizing him up a little bit. And I was like, I wonder how long he's going to go for because he didn't look like he would have the stamina. He just looked like a a sort of someone who's like, he just looked good. But 
I was kind of on top of my game strength-wise and I was kind of excited to do something that was going to push me. And I was like, I don't know if this guy is going to push me that much. Man, he smashed us, absolutely smashed us. Like I couldn't believe what this guy was doing from a physical standpoint and from a mobility standpoint and just a cardio level too. We went for so long and he's talking the whole way time and doing the moves with us, like keeping up with us and pushing us. I was like, dude, this is epic. So I was like, I want to, I want to be a part of this because gymnastic is good because you can, you can do it anywhere. You, you don't need any, any, um, you don't need any workout gear. You, uh, so you can, you, all you need is just a, like a little space where you can swing your arms and you can, and you can do it. And it's all from a, I like it too from, because from a postural standpoint, it makes sense and it can it is this way you, you can open your yourself up in terms of mobility which is super important from a serving standpoint from all, all sort of sports standpoint this mobility is key and having the strength to be able to get through the end ranges also is is super important so I just was like I went to my my level one certificate with Alvaro the he's the the father of the two guys that do it, Alvaro and then the son. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I went and did my level two and three certificate with him because he he uh, he has a he's been he trains a lot of guys surfing as well. Um, so he had a little bit more of a surf background, which I was kind of wanted to to sort of gel with. And then actually it was funny because I went and when I did my level two and three certificate, I met a guy called Majid who is a, like, black belt from uh, his dad's a black belt. And Majid, who trains with Joel, uh, Joel um, Tudor, they just opened a space down in um, down SoCal, kind of where near you are, Chaz, called yeah, Sir Surfer. Yeah. yeah. And, and – so Chaz is going to train. Yeah. That's the, you should train there, man. Those guys are good. And Joel – Joel's a legend and Majid is like the nicest dude in the world. Like he's the guy that you want to try train with, I, I reckon. Um, was he Pakistani or something? No, he's Brazilian. <laughs> I was like, I didn't know where he was from either. I didn't even know he was from Brazil until I was in Hawaii recently and he took and he like did the one of the classes at JD's gym and he was started speaking Portuguese to one of the guys. I was like, oh, you're Brazilian? Because <laughs> he speaks, he has an American accent. He's been here since day one. But uh those guys are epic, and uh, they got a good uh, they got a good energy, and I don't know, they're super welcoming. I, I find that's really important when you go to a new school. It's nice to be welcomed. It's nice to have a sort of a, a surf coast coastal environment too, because I feel like surfers surfers are aggressive. Absolutely, you have to be aggressive to get waves, but they're also kind of a little bit more laid back as well. So having that combination makes for good teachers and, and good training. Um, but I met Majid and I, I've done a bunch of privates with him. He's he's a legend. I, I really like him. He's got he's got good skills. And then I actually rolled with Joel in Hawaii. Well, how'd he, you go? He's a beast. Oh really? And, yeah, he trains at um he trains at at, at uh, Sunset Beach with JG, JD. And he takes a bunch of classes but Joel is, man, he's tough and he's strong and he's so good. He's, uh, he's, and he's gnarly. Like he gets nasty chokes and nasty like foot locks and heel hooks and <laughs> knee bars and whatnot. He's very good. 
He's very good. He has this like really like I don't know when he's serving. He has this real casual like <laughs> mellow style. Not on the max. <laughs> Why is he frenzy based? Pardon me. You like a spider monkey? Just goes Man, crazy. He's so he's so he's so good. He's very good and he's very tough. And what's his game? I, I mean, I only got to roll with him once, but he's my height, and but he's a little bit bigger than I am. But he's a uh, he's he's his game is just far superior than anyone's on the map that I've that I've witnessed um, today. And he's he can he can do pretty much anything. But I feel like I don't know. They don't at JDs. They don't do as many foot locks and heel hooks and knee bars and whatnot because sur- for surfing, that's the most important part of your your body. So and there's so many good surfers there, like Eli. Uh, I trained with Eli while I was there. Eli, um, awesome. he he he's a black belt and he he's a he's a good dude too. And he's strong and he's he's really good. Uh, and I enjoyed training with him. I enjoyed training with the surface because they're a little bit more uh, understanding of the body parts that you need. <laughs> 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 so they're not going to like trying to rip your heel apart or, or knee bar you to a point where you're like not going to get in the water the next day. Um, but you get to guys with you train with guys who don't understand that and that could, the legs are a, a big part. And being tall, my heels are just hanging out everywhere. My knees are long, my legs are long. So that's kind of like something that that's a go to for a lot of my training partners at, at my gym. Have you trained with freestone? I haven't never trained with Jack. Uh, with Jack, I'd love to train with Jack. We got a, a mutual friend in Hawaii who we train with a lot. One of the lifeguards, Kyle Foyle, who who's black belt and he trains at our Boar's Nest. And then he also trains with Kai Borg. I, I've had a chance to roll with Kai. Yeah, he's he's, a, he's like I had nothing. He made me feel like a white belt, and he made me he feel like you? he just squashed me. He just like put all his weight on me. He's a big boy. <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love squashing people and getting squashed. Uh, it was so fun though because Kai has like he, oh, we all know Kai and the sort of you know what he brings to the surf community and how he was a always someone that you kind of looked up to from you know as as someone you always got to keep you in check sort of thing and you would never misbehave around him. But then he'd also have this, you know, he's a waterman and he was like someone who would always be there if you got into trouble for all the contests and whatnot. He was always around and he was always helping you out. But to actually roll with him in a in a, in a a sort of an environment where you got to go 1,000% against this guy, like he, he, you could you could go 1,000% in jiu-jitsu, you can really, you can have a crack like this. You can actually go and then leave the leave the leave the round and and it's like high five sort of thing. So you can sort of roll roll the dice and have a go, and then you just realise, man, he's he's yeah. You would not have a hope in hell <laughs> if you ever got your hands on you. You, you, you know that before you roll with him. Yeah, of course I do. Of course I do. But it's always you. It's always that one little like, oh, maybe what if I did this? What if I did that? <laughs> Yeah, keep the <laughs> Chaz, you're a um, you're an old friend of uh, Kyborg's, huh? I mean, I wouldn't call myself a friend at all, nor would I think Kai call him a friend of me. But I sure did enjoy the time I spent with him. 
because you finished, you finished um, Welcome to Paradise, now beat it, um, with, uh, with, a, with a lovely chapter on Kai Garcia. I mean, he's great. He's a fantastic, I mean, I loved every second I spent with him. And can't even imagine, Luke, as a, what are you, what do you weigh in? Uh, are you 180 now? No, I'm 165. 167. 75. 167. 167. I can't even imagine. I mean, going at Kai, like, even with, again, tallness and longness is the greatest thing ever. But no, like, I don't even know how you get my arms or even my long arms around his neck. His neck is so big. My eight foot arms wouldn't fit around his neck. Yeah, and he's he he says straight away after his finish, he goes, "I love going against tall guys. Tall guys are like my thing." Uh, he goes, "I hate going against short people. Like, I I hate going against the smaller guys because again, like being long, you have these limbs that are more open to 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 attack. So I guess for him, and as well being." Being all of 75 kilos against his, like, I don't know what he weighs it at, but definitely a lot more than me. <laughs> Couple of me. Oh, yeah. I can't even imagine. I would be dead in one. I mean, I obviously haven't trained but twice, but yeah. he would kill me. It, but, he, he, but again, he, he took a light on me as well. I mean, he was, he was. He was just chilling on he wasn't going hard at all, which is even scarier because it's frightening to to think of what what he could do. I mean, but he's had the he, he's had training partners like Pachesha and been fortunate enough to like I mean he's a world champ as well. So and he's I mean he's like I think he's a three or four stripe black belt now. So he's been doing it for a long time. So is all you do now is surf and train? I mean, train. what is, what else is in your, yeah, what else is I, in your, I mean, what do you even have time for? Oh, my family, that's it. i got a, a 18-month-old little girl, Bodie, who's just like my world, and of Spikey, he's in Hawaii. We go to Hawaii every couple of months for a, a week or two weeks or whatnot, so being a, being a full-time dad. But I train as much as possible, and I train I train harder now than I probably did on tour. And my whole the, the you know what's epic is guys like like Nathan Fletcher and those guys who are doing those like watching him do those airs at 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 at, uh, at pipe and watching him get so high. And having him being at a similar age as me and watching Kelly doing what he's doing at the moment and then seeing guys like a couple of, you know, generations older than I am, like uh, Michael Ho, just getting those barrels out back door and whatnot, that's 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 inspiration. And I just, I, I want to, there's no reason why, those guys are leading the way and saying there's no reason why you can't be the best you can be at kind of a later age. So for me, it's so like what I hear you—you're going back on tour—is what I hear you saying. <laughs> I'm not going to sign up for the QE and go and try and requalify, but I definitely want to. I definitely want to do something. I would love to go and do the, the like world championships at, at jiu-jitsu in Vegas and compete in my weight, my weight and and belt and an age limit and do something cool like that. Um, Are you going to do, do it? it? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm going to do it as as long as when it opens. I, I feel like I'm. I like to challenge myself. I still like competing. I still like having a goal and want to, and and I feel like that keeps me on a particular path that makes me the most happy. Is having that kind of like goal and then setting a strategy to achieve it and then going hard at it. If you're competing at jiu-jitsu, do you have to have a bit of a um, to? I mean, a lot of it's about technique, but a lot of it's about aggression. And how do you um, build that aggression into um, such a smiley artifice? So I competed a bunch of in jiu-jitsu and at a white and a blue belt. I haven't competed as a purple belt. And yeah, that's that was a super big challenge for me because it's also the most frightening I've ever been. I was way more nervous stepping onto the mats for um, an actual fight um, than I was at competing at, at any level like pipe or or chopu or any of those spots just because it was it was something that like I wasn't used to I was completely out of my comfort zone and I was here I am just looking across and this guy who just wants to to murder you but it it comes down to for me it was more about yeah you gotta you gotta be aggressive but it comes down to using technique and that's a big part of jiu-jitsu it's all technique it's not about the biggest dude or the most aggressive guy it's about the person who has the the best um, what's that (laughs) it's the tallest dude's gonna win (laughs) 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 so i step onto the mat and like a lot of guys are like oh you've won no just kidding um i wish (laughs) but (laughs) that's not what they think at all they're just like i'm gonna hammer this tall Describe that first competitive fight when you had to get out there and you had to be aggressive. Yeah, I remember it vividly. I was, I was white belt. I was, with, I was in, uh, I was with Mauricio and we, I was, I was with Troy as well, actually. And Aaron, the two guys that kind of I trained with in Sydney and we were, we were, I competed in the gi and the no gi and I had no idea what to expect, and the gi was the gi was fun, except I got I did everything right, like pass the guard, took him down, pass the guard, got the mount, which is considerable points, and then it got stopped because we moved off the mat, and then I got pulled onto the mat, and then the guy somehow like just choked me from when I was in his mount, like the weirdest the weirdest thing, like that just wouldn't happen in in. What's what's the joke like? He just dead set, just leaned up, grabbed inside my gate, and just like pulled me down and just choked me. And I was like, "What the hell?" I was so it was retarded. But I and you know the through that whole time, I had no idea what was going on. Like I got off the mat, and I just was like, "What happened?" (laughs) I had to ask someone because I just didn't remember anything because I was so scared. I was petrified the whole time. And then going to the no gear, I was even worse because I was watching this guy. I won my first heat, and then the guy that I was going to go against, I was watched his round, and he just picked up this dude and just threw him on the mat. And the guy literally broke his back, didn't break his back, but it looked like he broke his back, had to get, like, escorted off the mat. <laughs> and they're like, Aaron's like, you got to go against him? I was like fuck off. Seriously? I'm not going against that guy. He just murdered that dude. And then, so I had to go against this 
guy who I just saw absolutely kill this dude and I was a mess. Oh, I just you, you just dropped your ass and just do aggressive shooting? Just, just pull guard straight away. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he just passed my guard and then just like choked me out straight away. I didn't want to be there at all. Didn't want to be there at all. But that's the beauty of jiu-jitsu, man. Like it takes some time and you, you, you learn how to deal with super challenging circumstances and, man, you, that grit, it teaches you grit. And now it's just like, now you're just like, oh, I just, you just want to roll anyone at any size you're just because you just want to test yourself and, you know, it's, you know. And you never know who the maniacs are going to be anyway, huh? What's that? You never know who the maniacs are going to be anyway. Like the 250 guy might be super cool and the guy who's 120 just, just comes at you, ready to fucking um, bite your ears yeah. off. I, I don't know if it's – I don't so much worry about – the the intent of them wanting to hurt you anymore it's because it's it's more so because it generally you could use that against them as well if they come out with you heaps of strength and um that can you can use you can you can work i can work with that now i feel like i got the ability that i can i can manage that and sometimes that actually works in your favor depending on again depending on the situation but uh it's that's been that's the journey like that I've enjoyed because now I train with guys who are just like they're just they're they're, they're tough they're so hard so I've, I've had that kind of um time to understand how to deal with those situations and so I'm good with that now what <laughs> I'm good to go. Is Chaz you getting psyched pardon me no I was asking Chaz Chaz are you kidding <laughs> yes um yeah, I can't wait to just go get killed, basically. <laughs> you have some dude sit on your face, get your arm oh, in the back. It sounds so much fun, doesn't it? That's <laughs> oh, so done. I mean, but getting getting beat up as a as an adult male, I think is a rare oh. p- privilege at this point, right? Like yeah. where it doesn't happen anymore. No, it doesn't it doesn't happen ever. Like it never happened to me ever. So for me, it's like it was this humbling experience, and I, yeah, it's nowadays. If you were to do it any other way, you'd, you'd end up in 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 court. <laughs> you'd you'd be in a situation where you'd be in trouble, and you and, and legally you, you wouldn't be allowed to do those things. But this is sort of gives you uh, an outlet to do things, and it, those things teach you. Um, I don't know, for me, it taught me to be humble and it also taught me how to taught me respect and taught me a few things that I I kind of sort of lost along the way, I guess. And when you're you're a pro surfer, it's all about you. Like you're it and you're the only person you have to think of and you go out there and you're trying to win and it it just, everything revolves around you. Um, So then when you go play jiu-jitsu, it's like it's not just about you, it's about your partner, it's about your community, it's about um, everyone. So for me, it was, uh, it was a good learning curve. My, my wife's just looking at me now. She's, oh, she's going, when the hell are you getting out of there? When are you wrapping that shit up? <laughs> <laughs> Mom, mum, and what? She needs to sleep. Get back here. Uh, Chaz, Dad's is in the guest room, so his mother-in-law's. Standing outside in her uh, pajamas, just waiting to get back in there with the doona wrapped around her. I know. I folded up. Oh, I'm just so cute. 
that's just so cute. <laughs> it's been lovely, lovely chatting, Luke. I'll let you um, sort out your mummy-in-law. No, thanks, boys. I appreciate the time. It's been it's been so good to talk to you guys. It's been good to hear some Aussie accents. <laughs> Eric? Yes. It's getting more Aussie the more I try with uh, Dan and Maribra and Zetland. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, have you been just quickly? Have you been enjoying it, your experience? I haven't had a chance to ask you about it. Like where where you are? Like what's been happening? Uh, I've been training since last July. About I've been training about four to six times a week. What? That's a lot, bro. Yeah, but I've been injured a couple of times. I got eye gouged. Let's <laughs> <out> for a bit. <laughs> Who eye gouged you? Son. <laughs> <laughs> Accidentally, we're just, we're just doing a drill. We you know you try and touch the shoulder, and, he, and his thumb went to the back of my eyeball. I said, "Fuck!" I was, in, I was in the Sydney Eye Hospital, and and I had to. And it's so funny because I had to drive home that night from the from the gym, and it was like I was blazed. I had my head over the steering wheel because I could only focus out of one eye, so I had to put my hand over my eye, and then uh, and then I and then I hurt my back uh, a few weeks ago, and I had a, had a few weeks off, but. Um, so I'm a three-stripe white belt, but that's probably a pretty generous three stripes, I reckon. So I guess, no, I've been training for a year. Wait, who's your professor? Um, have uh, trained with John, John Walton. Yep, and Johnny. Tra- tra- yeah, Johnny. And uh, yeah. my kid's been doing it for 10 years, so I've known Johnny for a long time. Oh, epic. Yeah, so my, my kid, um, my kid's always, he'll, he'll hook so, at me and shit. Wait, so how old's he grown? He's 16. Wow. That's epic. And he's been doing it for 10 years. He's going to yeah. be good. And he has, it's funny. It's like seeing um, kids who are born to surf, you know, surfing from, you know, real super young age. The technique yep. is so spot on. Man. Everyone else who takes it up sort of later, just, you know, is, isn't quite on the money. Yeah. Oh, you know you, you know who has a similar story to you is uh, he's from Maribra. Uh, uh, sorry, he's from Bondi. Photographer. He's a young boy, Le- Levi. Levi. He's a black belt. He's phenomenal. World champion. Oh yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's funny because I only heard about that kid a little while ago. I thought, fuck, he lives in North Bondi. Yeah. He's um, he's one of the best kids in the world. He's about he's 20, 21 or something now, isn't he? Yeah, he's phenomenal. He just he just did a. I saw him doing a seminar up in Byron, but he's he's all time. He's epic in a gay, especially. Yeah, it's, uh, but how good is it training with your Grom? That must be so much fun. Yeah, it's funny though because because uh, he because obviously I've got about thirty kilos on him, and <laughs> so, um, if he's if he's hurting me too much, I just use a bit of weight. <laughs> then I see him get angry and he just gets and I'll I'll have him in a triangle or something and he'll be going bright red. He just refuses to tap. He never lets me tap him, and then oh, he gets okay. angry and. And before I know it, he'll throw me in some kind of um, single leg X and throw me back and just start snapping my heels off. And, you, you know, not even a chance to tap. Mate, mate, I'm done. And, uh, so and a, I had a nose sort of smash. I was in a triangle, but my, my hand was stuck on my, on my face. Someone and, protecting uh, you? Yeah, and I just uh, I couldn't tap and I was getting angry and shit. And, but, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> I'm loving, it's funny because me and Chaz have got these um, fitness trainer things called Whoops. Have you heard oh, yeah. of that? Yeah, yeah. I heard it yeah. yeah, insane. And um, and you just train more and more because you, you just want to get your numbers up. It becomes so addictive, and you go to do it. Those things are addictive just because of that hard. Just like it's just about the the number and and seeing how many you've done and compete and competing against yourself or competing against your friends. Like it's crazy. Yeah, because they, they have t- online teams as well. And there's a jujitsu thing, and there's two thousand people on it. And if you have a good day on the mats and you surf, where do you a end on there, Derek? I've been first a couple of times. Whoa. Yeah, that's pretty good. 
I mean, yeah, Derek, yeah. Derek is a energizer bunny and all that kind of stuff, though. Because <laughs> I get up, I sometimes try to hit you on days where I feel up to it, and then think, "Oh man, I end like a couple below you." <laughs> the weirdest, the well, the wildest thing I've found is um, surfing um, gets your heart rate up way more than jujitsu. Really? I, but I've been. I mean, yeah. for me, Liz. Yeah, because I thought Derek, I, Derek's I, out I, surfing I, hours every day. What's that? Derek's out surfing hours. That's why for him. <laughs> I go surfing here, and my no, heart rate goes yeah, down yeah, lower than it is if I'm sitting on the couch. Yeah, when I'm heart, writing a tablet article on Beach Grit, my heart rate is way higher than when I'm surfing the heart of heart of beach breaks. <laughs> yeah, my heart rate doesn't get too high surfing Venice either. So. Yeah. <laughs> It goes down, huh? It goes down. No, it's, just, it's literally better to sit at home and think things than to go surfing a shit California beach break. Oh, man. It's, you, you live in the best area, though, Chaz. Like, down your way is, is so much more consistent. Like, I, went, I was doing a comp with some groms down at Oceanside, and wave is so much – even down there was, like, way better shape, way less people, way better surfers. So, but I've been curious though. Why don't you move down here? Like, it's an easy, it's an as easy commute to LA as anything, and there's actually waves. Like, there's I no know. point in living in LA. <laughs> I know. Seriously, the 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 good thing about LA is is the all my obviously all my clients are here. Uh, there's there's such a big community of people who want to learn to surf way way bigger community than what they are down there and like if they're already there if and there's like a, a much larger age group like i've got a like i said before like i've got young groms to to, to mums that are, are equal age as i am and everyone's just super pumped to surf and there's actually a couple good really learn to surf locations around here like i mean malibu's built for it and then you've got a bunch of little spots on the way up the coast and because it's so bad for surfing, it's actually quite good for beginners. Well, you got a you got a new student in me. I'm coming up to learn from Luke Sedman. <laughs> well, I'll come down. I go to HP all the time. HP is pretty fun for for like a intermediate to advanced surfer. I mean, I don't know if you've been there lately, but there's a lot of good surfers there. Totally. I've got room in the house for you and your mother-in-law and everyone. Just come on down. Epic. <laughs> thanks, mate. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks, Des. Thanks for the chat. Hey, no worries, boys. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing you, Derek, and I'll make sure when I get to Sydney next, once things loosen up in the old two-week quarantine. Have a little roll at Troy's joint. Well, absolutely. I look forward to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give Troy a big hug for me and give Johnny a, give Johnny a high five for us as well. All right, brother. All right, guys. Take it easy. Good you.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.